Hey everybody and welcome to the Amateur Philosophers Club where two of your friendly neighborhood priests dive into some of the big questions in life and the broadest ideas and the big concepts that we all have and have such an impact on our lives. And we do this because we believe, just as Socrates believed, that the unexamined life is not worth living. My name is Father Richard Stonia and I'm here with Father Denise Williamson as we dive into some of these questions. Today we're going to have uh, a bit of a, a different kind of, of episode, but we'll speak a little bit about that in a second. Uh, for now, Father Denise, how's it going? Morning, Father Richard. Good and you? Awesome. Good to, good to be back in the, in, the, in the podcast world and to be chatting to you about these, these things that we enjoy so much. So we've come to a certain point in our, in our, as we're working through this book by Daniel Sullivan, and we're going through the, we've been going through a, a brief history of, of philosophy, a sort of overview of the beginnings of philosophy. Um, and we've been doing this basically to introduce our, our listeners to, to some of the basic concepts and some of the basic problems of philosophy as they were, as they were outlined, even in the first few centuries of philosophy, and some of the ideas and the concepts that, that, um, that came out of that, that also gave satisfying responses to these these problems. And we're going to move from here, from this sort of brief historical um, overview, which we don't pretend is is complete. Um, obviously, we've we've ended with with Aristotle, but then to use these concepts, especially the sort of the harmonious concepts that Aristotle came to, you know, kind of saying, no, we can use our senses and our reason um, within the things. There's both the the changing and the unchanging. That co- kind of composite view of things. Use that that way of seeing the world to then explore further the the questions of life and the mysteries of this world. So from here, from this point in the podcast, we're going to be going, we're going to be looking at um, questions about life, like who man is, um, why, uh, what is different about him, you know, what does it mean to be a good person, what is what is society, what is what is the, the world itself and the universe and its meaning and all those kinds of questions. So we're going to start taking from these these concepts and apply them to these questions. And I know maybe some of you are um, a little bit familiar with some of these philosophers and you've thought, gosh, they really only mention one or two things about the philosopher. And that's true. We really have just given a uh, an overview. And even with Aristotle, I know there were so many things that we didn't touch on, you know, like causality, um, substance and accidents, obviously all the ethics and politics and things like that. But that's the plan is as we go through through the next few chapters is to take the concepts and apply them to to the philosophical questions. Sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking, looking forward, to, forward to that part. And I, I suppose it goes without saying mm. that I guess from now on, each episode is going to be a little bit more structured and a bit more like systematic. Yes. Because we're going to be looking at, as you pointed out, themes. Yeah. A particular problem or a particular question and then anal- analyzing it. Um rather than trying to get the, all the ideas of a particular thinker into into about an hour's worth of conversation. Great. Yeah, I think it's going to be really cool. But my idea, although you were uh, <laughs> a bit hesitant on this idea, but I thought, okay, maybe this is a nice place um, to just kind of pause, right? At the end of this first part, the historical part, and to give a bit of an introduction to ourselves, like who who we are and why we've, why we've come to this point, why we as priests think it's important to spend some of our time doing a philosophy podcast, why philosophy is important to us and why we think it's worth worth sharing. I won't lie, I'm a bit nervous for today's one. <laughs> I feel like it's easier talking about philosophers than about amateur philosophers like ourselves, but okay, let's go for it. <laughs> awesome. So why don't you, why don't we start with you? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> so give us a brief kind of introduction, like who, who, who is... Uh, Father Denise Williamson. Give All us a, right. a sort of a life story overview. Like, um, how have you come to this point? 
Great. Well, I was born in Joburg uh, in 1986. The eldest of three kids in a in a happy and normal Catholic family, you could say. I went to school at St. David's, matriculated there 2004. Um, yeah, I enjoyed the enjoyed the sports. Uh, academics was okay, although I probably could have done better. Really, I was, was a bit demotivated I kind of took you for a for an academic. Yeah, I, I like I like enjoyed them, but I also like really enjoyed rugby and also the culturals. I remember um, at St. David's there they had just started a music department, and oh, I was yeah. really excited about that. And I, that's when I started like guitar. When did you When did you start playing? In grade ten, I think. Oh, awesome! Yeah, and uh, that was really cool. So I really enjoyed that, and um, yeah, what else to say? It was a pretty normal. A normal time there. Had normal some, South African boy. Normal South African boy <laughs> growing up in Joburg. So, I've like I said, liked the sports, liked the time with my friends. Mm. Um, then matriculated, took a gap year and a bit, did various uh, jobs, worked as a waiter in Parkhurst. So, your, your gap year was here in South Africa? Here in South Africa. And I, as I said, just did like various uh, various odd jobs for work experience. I worked as a guide in the Drakensberg, which was really oh, cool. cool. That was another big, uh, like a big passion of mine was the outdoors. The mountains. Awesome. Yeah. It's uh, something that like runs in the family. My, my grandfather was a big climber. Um, and uh, like a lot of my uncles and aunts also enjoy the outdoors. So we would go off and down to like the Drakensberg or the Machalisberg and yeah. go for day hikes or even, even multi-day hikes. And that was, I loved that going into into nature and the mountains. I can still remember the first time I saw the Drakensberg oh, yeah. being awed by the size of this mountain, yeah. like being almost intimidated by it. My eyes were constantly drawn to it and then I'd have to look away because it was so big. But I could feel the mountain calling me to come and get close because... That's awesome. Yeah, I, I reflecting on it, it must. it's like a... It was almost like a pre-religious experience. Yeah. Like the, the, the sense of the grandeur mm. and the majesty was was obviously pointing to something bigger, yeah. right? The, the author of these mountains. Because, I mean, you were obviously already a practicing Catholic, right? Right. Or at least a Catholic. Catholic <laughs> and practicing. Okay. Like uh, our okay. family was practicing. Yeah. We would go to Mass every Sunday, like the prayer and grace. Um, and even, you know, conversation about religious mm. topics was a normal part of our lives. It wasn't something that was just uh, infrequent or reserved for like holy days or yeah. you know, Christmas and Easter, but it was a, it was just like woven into the fabric of our, of our daily life. So the faith was something normal for mm. me. And maybe that's why uh, seeing the mountains, I, it, it made me think about God. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. And that, that, that experience just of, of the, the grandeur of the mountains. Were you always pretty philosophical, like uh, asking big questions and uh, thinking of theories and things like that? I think so. I think right from from a, an early age, I I wanted to get to the bottom of things. Like I enjoyed. I was probably one of those annoying kids that always asked, like, why? Yeah. Why? But why this? And <clears throat> you know, what's the reason for that? Were you more? I I I my guess is, although you you sometimes surprise me, is that um you're more left-brained than right-brained. Like you're more mathematical, scientific than than um sort creative. Of creative. I don't really know, to tell you the truth. I haven't done any of those <laughs> studies sort of or like, aptitude tests or whatever they're yeah. called. Uh, I just never got around to do that. Not even like yeah. the, the for the career counseling. Okay. But I mean, like in high school, did you enjoy more the, the sciences or like English? I suppose you I also learned guitar and things like that. And I did better in English and the humanities. I, did, I took English, obviously, and then I took history science and art believe it or not oh, for my, my three other subjects yeah I told you so you a bit of a, me. a bit of a balance yeah but yeah so so that was it so the gap year like i said i was working in the drakensberg as a guide which i loved mm. 
did um, some other some other random work. And at the time, you were thinking about what you were going to study. Yeah, so I was set to go to Rhodes, and I wanted to study the the PPE degree, that uh, politics, philosophy, and economics. Oh, sure. Uh, which sounded really cool. Because yeah. I wasn't really sure what to study or what I wanted to do with my life. A few people in my family had gone in, uh, had gone into law, like this grandfather of mm. mine who I think I inherited my love of mountains for. He was a judge. Oh, right. Um, so that kind of ran in the family. So yeah. I was thinking maybe like maybe law, law or something like that. And a PPE was a, a nice introduction That's to that. That's pretty cool. I think if I could go back and study again, um, that that's those are probably more the subjects I would choose rather than the ones I did choose. Okay. Um, like philosophy, maybe politics, and because you did psychology, economics. right? Yeah. So well, we'll get in. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe we can kind of we can work work through our lives together. So if I I'll catch up to you a little bit. So um, so I was also born in Joburg to a big big Catholic family, um, and we spent our whole lives here, right? I went to I went to Parktown, so we played St David sometimes in rugby. And you guys beat us almost always. Yes. Um, I wonder if we. What team were you in rugby? I played seconds. Okay, well then we never faced each but other. But I started in fourths, <laughs> fifths, I think. Okay, well maybe maybe we had. That's where that was. I think fifths. I think I played one game for the fourths, and then I got concussed, and that was the end of my rugby. Career. The fighting fourths. <laughs> anyway, look. So I mean, I. But it's almost it's more enjoyable playing for those teams than for like first and second team because the pressure's off. It's a bit more fun. It's a bit. It's a bit more fun, you yeah. know. Yeah. Look, sport has never been. Uh, it's never been my forte. <laughs> I did get more into it. Well, more into it. I played more sports in high school, right? So obviously, all boys school sports was, uh, was compulsory. Compulsory, yeah. But I played water polo and rugby, um, and they were fun. I think I never played a team sport before. In in primary school, I only ever like did swimming and things like that. So it was more individual based. But um, you didn't play cricket. No, I didn't play cricket. Look. Hand-eye coordination is not very strong in my family in general, and in me in particular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of like got worse. But everybody as, plays cricket, <laughs> like to Horst and Commonwealth, and no, I only I, I only ever played cricket in the back garden with my dad, um, and that convinced me enough that cricket wasn't my sport. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, look. So I think in general, although like I, I kind of always wanted to be to enjoy sports i was never very good at them um so i was definitely much more on the creative side and enjoyed like i did even in primary school and stuff did more public speaking and in high school more drama and things like that i also got into music in high school also when i was about 16 picked up a guitar following what my friends were doing and uh yeah played played music with them and that was sort of the passion during high school and skateboard. was the first riff you learned uh, smells like teen spirit <laughs> well it was the first song i riff i learned was actually nirvana um, but it wasn't smells like teen spirit come as you are come as you are okay <laughs> oh, that's the, the classic the other, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway so yeah that was sort of my high school made some uh good mates and stuff in high school um but that was i think we were always of that sort of crowd the crowd the like more drama um we were kind of more I guess, I guess we were pretty philosophical also in our conversations and stuff we spoke about the deep things and things like that but yeah we still try to try to play a bit of sport but we weren't weren't amazing <laughs> Um, matriculated 2005 and um, I also took a gap year but I went to I went to the UK with my mates and we and we worked um, worked there uh, just trying to worked and traveled and watched went to watch music uh, went to music festivals and watch bands and things it was it was good fun and awesome. did a bit of European travel um, and yeah I think at the same time also kind of wondering what on earth am I going to do um, and got a few acceptances to to universities and yeah I also decided to go to Rhodes I think because I felt like I needed a, a bit of a new something new in my life. Like uh, I really had a good relationship with my friends, but I I felt like 
um, uh, to be honest, I kind of like felt I was a bit too, uh, I wasn't independent enough or autonomous enough. I was pretty, I was very easily influenced by, um, by my friends. So I think maybe as a way of kind of running away, <laughs> I was like, let me go to, let me go to Rhodes. And then, um, where were they going to go? Your, your mates? All, all my mates went to Wits. Okay. And so then, um, yeah, so I went to Rhodes and then I, I studied a, a BA and the, my, yeah, my majors were psychology and linguistics. Linguistics? Yeah. Hey, the, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, not that I was, wasn't a very good student. I think from high school and even through um, university, I kind of rested on my, my natural uh, intellect or my natural abilities to get through school. So I was a bit of a coaster. Like I was like smart enough to coast and that is a terrible way to learn. Um, <laughs> so I really, I regret that a lot because yeah, looking back, I'm like, oh Because man. then when you get to university, it hits you. Well, even in university, like I kind of, my approach to learning and things was, was to pass the exam, right? It wasn't like, okay, I really want to like know this, like get to understand this. So I was like, okay, I really want to pass the exam and like that girl has good notes. So let me ask her for her. <laughs> psychology notes and that will help me they always make the best notes (laughs) that's totally true um so anyway but looking back i'm like oh man i wish i studied like english literature and the classics and philosophy and things like that in in high school i mean in university but but you didn't you ended up not going to Rhodes. yeah so like funny you mentioned that about the your like you really wanted to maybe study like literature and philosophy and the classics and i think also me without realizing or being able to articulate it that's what i was really looking to study well i think i only know that now like i'm like man i wish i spent those years studying that Mm -hmm. um but yeah i didn't really understand that or think of that at the time i I considered philosophy but it seemed they the the thing that put me off is there was an assignment every monday (laughs) (laughs) i was like "Mm." not gonna help me coast (laughs) exactly well, I was, uh, like, as I said, I was about to go to Rhodes. It, it was all set up. But then um, I came across, a, uh, I heard about this this university um, called Thomas Aquinas College, which yeah. is in the States, in, in California. It's a it's a small Catholic uh, university. And they offer a, a degree called um, a liberal arts degree. Yeah. Um, now, that doesn't mean that it's, like, liberal as in politically liberal. Yeah. And, like, so you're, like... <laughs> you know, like progressive and then you study arts, like a lot of progressive hippies <laughs> studying arts together. No, it means the the liberal arts are the is the name given to like a um a program of studies that is similar or inspired by the Middle Ages. So it's the arts as in the skills that the free man uh learns. That's, oh, right. so that's like logic. Is that where liberal comes from? Like yeah. so you're not um so liberal as in the sense of liberal as in free. As in free. The oh, free man as opposed to the, the slave or whoever. Mm. And these arts are, are, are logic, so the art of thinking, uh, grammar, uh, the art of writing, and then rhetoric, the art of speaking. And then there are a few others over there. So the liberal arts, the liberal education that this college was offering was um, philosophy, theology, a bit of logic, maths, science, a bit of music, and mm. even like astronomy, and oh, then cool. also literature. Oh, so it was a really um, holistic, uh, all-round general introduction to these bigger questions. Yeah. And when I saw this program, I realized, hey, this is what I was, what I was looking what for, looking what for. I really wanted to study. That's so uh, awesome. And as I found out that these things exist, you know, like the great books programs and liberal arts and things like that, I'm like, oh, how I wish I'd learned that, you know. It's almost like I, I fell into the trap of... of um, 
qualification-based education or oriented education. I was like, okay, I just got to get my matric. I've just got to get through this exam. I got to get the degree and stuff. But as well, from studying philosophy, and we'll get to that, I was like, man, learning itself is amazing. And then discovering these, that there are these programs that just foster deep learning in the things that are, are most human, you know, yeah. um, like art and literature and, and philosophy. Um, that I was just, yeah, uh, I envy that, that you got to spend all that time at, at TAC. That's really, yeah. really cool. Well, it was, it was amazing. It was a, a four-year program and uh, went over there and in, in 2006 and finished, in, finished up in 2010 and loved the whole program. It just soaked up every little bit of the studies there and the great friendships that I made um, mm. with like-minded people also who are hungry for the truth and passionate yeah. and uh, formed, we had a great community there and fought some really deep friendships. Uh, um, and there was being a Catholic college also, it really helped me grow in my faith, mm. uh, mostly through the example of oh. my, of my friends. Oh, is it? Uh, like, like most of them were Catholic, although you didn't have to be Catholic to go there or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my, my roommates, Sorry, in the, in my first year was a uh, he wasn't the roommate, but he stayed in the room next to me. He was a he was a guy from Idaho who worked. He was a, a an engineer and he worked in like a nuclear waste disposal plant. So he was this really highly qualified guy. Sure. And he had come to the college to because he was a had been raised Protestant, but had fallen away and was atheist now, hmm. and maybe agnostic is a better yeah. way to describe his position. But he heard about this program and he decided that since he didn't know where he was supposed to go in life, he may as well come and study this program and see, uh, you know. No ways. And so, yeah, so you didn't have to be Catholic to go there. But many of my friends were Catholic and they were in the habit of, you know, like going to Mass, often yeah. even daily Mass, uh, pray every day, uh, confession frequently, so not just, you know, once a month or once every once six months, once a year, <laughs> but, you know, like once every couple of weeks, uh, the rosary every day, uh, Eucharistic adoration. Wow. And seeing the example of, of my friends and seeing their, their happiness oh, yeah. and their joy at living that kind of life. At living that <laughs> kind of life, I then started uh, living my faith more mm. fully, like taking it more, like, more seriously. Already like towards the end of high school, I, I began to realize that you know, I needed to make a choice in my life. I mm. had to either try to start living my faith fully mm. you know, to achieve that, that unity of life you know, or I needed to let's say, you know, uh, cut from it, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, because I, I could feel inside myself that I needed to be coherent. I needed to be yeah. a, a person of integrity, whether it's being faithful or not, but I needed to make a choice. Mm. And so and I was ready in that process. Yeah. And then going to university really helped me to, That's really cool. to stick with the, the one. Yeah. And I, um, I think once you, once you start kind of seeing the, the, the claims and the demands of the faith, yeah. that you, then you start seeing the, it really is a, it's an it's all or nothing it's man. all or nothing it's all or nothing like, yeah. it's mean, not a buffet where you can take like your eggs and you can take a bit of bacon it's mm. like no it's like a mama's you know home cooked meal it's like all or nothing yeah. and obviously I mean we know that making that yes doesn't mean that we're immediately transformed that we become like like um, like the like what we desire or what we aim towards but there is a kind of trajectory change it's a trajectory look a, a similar yeah. thing happened to me like yeah, as I say, unfortunately, I certainly didn't make the most of my own studies. And if I could go back, I would have studied um, other things. And and yeah, just seeing the value in like a liberal arts education and stuff, I that's something I like recommend to people now. You know, I'm like, this is such a good way to like mold a person's mind and their their appreciation for for 
and their love for truth and the most important things in the world. Now, but a similar thing happened to me with my faith. Um, so it's like now, yeah, I obviously I was I was a practicing practicing Catholic and uh, I was the 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 kind of Christian in my friends group and things like that. Although I wasn't very. Um, <laughs> but you were the Catholic ex- guy, right? So in my you, faith, yeah. yeah. But still, I mean, those. I think if someone had a question about about the faith, they would come talk to me. You yeah. know. Um, but yeah, and I think part of me that was maybe also part of the reason I went to Rhodes is I was like I know. I know I've got to be living this more coherently and I, I almost need the space to be able to do that. Um, and so I decided to go out to roads of all places, right? Which is like party town central. Um, but it sort of, it did happen there. It took, it took a while, but um, there I kind of had the chance to, from the outset, almost be clear about my identity. Um, and there it's, it was very hard to live a, a double life, right? Because it's a small town who you are in church, you're going to church with the same people as you go to the pub with, right? It's, <laughs> right. Um, and so more and more, um, I was forced to make the choices for myself. Like I wasn't, it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to mass because, um, because of my family or because I like uh, deep down, I think I should. But I realized I kind of ha- had to start making the choice for myself and to choose more fully um, the Christian life. And they also made some really good Christian friends um, and yeah, I mean, I think struggled with that sort of that pull, the pull of the world and the pull of the faith. But um, I suppose it's also like at that age, this is where you become yourself. You know, you, you, you really gain your independence and your, your identity. Yeah, I think so that you've got to make the, the decisions you make, you make because you want to make them, not because it's your parents or your friends mm. or or some other, you know, external uh, influence. Course, influence. Or, yeah. But this is, the, this is the age where you really are striving to yeah. discover who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And that helped me then coming back to Joburg, you know, and seeing my same friends and seeing my family and stuff. And then mm-hmm. slowly becoming more and more, I think, grounded in my identity as as being more sure of myself and of my of my faith and how I how I longed um, to live or what were my, my principles in life. And um, yeah, so that was really, really cool. Um, but then after that, I kind of just had, I didn't really know what to do with my life. So even though I got my honors in psychology, I didn't pursue that. Um, I, I got into marketing. Uh, and then from marketing, I got into teaching. Um, at uh, started teaching religion um, at a Catholic boys school at St. Benedict's. And uh, in fact, I took your your place because you just you just taught there right yeah that's uh that's where, amazing that, <laughs> how these th- how these things work out because so i'd finished up at at thomas aquinas and yeah that experience changed my life uh that was when i was introduced to socrates and plato and aristotle yeah. and i just loved it and it, it like transformed my mind and my life completely and also the friendships that i made yeah. there and the and way you were thinking about those with yeah. the people around you it wasn't just like okay this is something information we're learning in the classroom but concepts that we're dealing with that bear our, on life yeah and that you would have conversations like you've told me about with your friends like late at night you'd be like well what is what does aristotle mean by substance most most <laughs> of the learning that that took place took place took place outside the classroom <laughs> you know we would have the the, the the class and then we'd continue the conversation mm. afterwards because that's how passionate we were do you it, think it helped because there was a shared underlying belief in truth like you 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 all believed that there was there was something that, that you could know. there's a truth and that it's knowable. Mm. That helped a lot. and But the program itself was geared to show us that this was possible also right from yeah. the beginning. Like I can remember in our first year, we we did maths every year, believe it or not. Um, and maybe that's because 
as we were saying uh you may not enter without you cannot (laughs) enter the academy without having studied geometry so sure sure in our first year we studied geometry we did euclid's elements so like all this stuff we did in grade 11 in matric all the 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 circle geometry Mm -hmm. and the the trig and things like that we did we did it again but in but in such a way that we could see the causes and the principles so Mm. it wasn't just learning so that you could be able to solve an equation uh, so that you could get a good grade in your exam, so that you could qualify and then you know find a job. Yeah. But we did it so that you could actually see the the, the causes and the reasons and the principles behind mm. these things, and that made it so interesting. Because one of my big frustrations at school was um, was that we were being taught these things, and I couldn't see the connection behind the different concepts yeah. and what they were for. Yeah. But but if somebody had just pointed out that okay, now we're learning like these concepts in maths because it came from these problems over here and this is how they relate to the bigger questions, mm. that would have sparked my interest. Yeah. Because I was always looking for the bigger picture. Mm. Anyway, getting a bit getting a bit sidetracked over here. What was I what was I talking about again? At finishing up TAC. Yeah. And how that that ex- that, that those studies have really changed life. my life. Yeah. And also helped me to be sure of my principles. And you'd started, that's where you'd also started um, considering uh, if God was calling you to to give yourself to him in a, in a more complete way. Or that if you right. had a religious vocation. So exactly. Uh, it was uh, about my, my third year there. So the, the junior year, as, as they call it there. Oh, yeah. Um, my, my, my freshman, freshman sophomore, <laughs> junior and senior. And yes, we also drank beer out of red cu- plastic, plastic, <laughs> red plastic cups. American Just have to put that in there. College it's exactly like you see in the movies. Um, but it was in my third year that uh, I started considering the, the like the possibility of a of the vocation to the priesthood. My really good friend um, from Los Angeles uh, had was seeing the the chaplain for for spiritual guidance. Yeah. And he suggested that I also start going to spirit, the priest for you know for like a, a chat every week or two, mm. just to be able to talk about what's happening in yeah. your soul, um, and and share what what's going on in your life in a non-judgmental, just open way, so mm. that he can listen and then maybe point out some things yeah. from like an objective perspective. It's like a personal trainer for your soul, not your body. For your for your soul. Anyway, this had a huge impact on me because it allowed me to to I think hear a bit clearer what what God was saying to me and what he was asking of me and also like going to daily mass, going to especially Eucharistic adoration every day, spending like a half an hour in front of the, our Lord in the tabernacle every day, just in that silence um, got me thinking about the, Mm. you know, what you're listening, got me listening. That's a bit exactly got me listening to, to our Lord. And like there's this, a coincidence of all these different things, like the friendships, the spiritual guidance, the prayer, even the academic program. Yeah learning about truth and how beautiful it is and seeing that all truth actually comes mm. from God. Because you didn't really study theology there. I mean, obviously there was an underpinning of of the Catholic um, principles and Catholic um, beliefs. But did you study theology? We did. We, we, we studied, <coughs> um, we read quite a bit of St. Augustine and then St. Thomas. St. Thomas, yeah, I suppose. St. Thomas. Thomas Aquinas We read the, the first 12 questions of the, the Summa Theologica. But those are all philosophical questions anyway. Mostly, yeah. We actually did do a bit of the third part, sorry, okay. on, on, on our Lord and then also on the sacraments. On sacraments, okay. But it, was, it wasn't, it, we, I mean, there's so many questions. We mm. only did, did a few of those. But that was, that was enough to, to whet my appetite and to, to open my mind up to see just uh, the greatness of yeah. theology. And oh, awesome. so that, th- I have to say, like that also helped me and spurred me on mm. to, to see that like what I was looking for in life, the, 
the, the answer to these desires that, that I had, even my mm -hmm. thirst for, for truth and for, for truth, meaning, yeah. uh, are found in God, yeah. who is the first truth, who is beauty itself, who is goodness itself. Like he was really the answer to these desires. So that laid the groundwork and, uh, and allowed me to, I think, to open myself up to giving myself the to God completely. Of, yeah, in whatever way he wanted me, mm -hmm. he, he wanted me to give myself, but at least uh, it prepared me to be ready to give mm -hmm. myself to him. And then my friend, like I said, who was going to the priest for spiritual guidance, he was also thinking about the priesthood. And he shared that with me. And that that really got me going, thinking, wow, okay. Well, if, and mm. he was a really popular guy. He was like the all-American jock. You know, he was handsome, really good at sports, really smart. He could sing, he could act. The girls like fell over, you know, when he walked <laughs> past. They, they all loved him. But he was thinking of the priesthood. Awesome. And I thought, wow, that was a... Did he become a priest? He was in the seminary for a, for a few years. But then his directors discerned that he was actually was being called to the married life. Okay. Uh, and that was a call that his superiors made, not oh, him. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He was keen to continue, yeah. but they thought that God was calling him yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. That's, um, I guess a lot of people don't know that when you're discerning a vocation, it's always a discernment both from your side. And from the other and side. And from the other side. It's like, okay, the community that I want to be part of, um, do they think, do they agree that this call might be coming from God? Um. That's really interesting. You know, I never, well, the, I, I guess it's almost like the, the university layout that I had almost had the opposite effect in the academic way because we didn't have this. I realized my experience was like atypical. Yeah. <laughs> By yeah. the way, what happened to the, your atheist roommate? Did he, did he, um, it's a great story. Come to the faith or. So he married a, a girl from our class because like a lot of people got married from at the, in this college. Oh, kind of so, like uh, they say it. Franciscan University of Steubenville. Like most people go there to get there or the MRS they this, degree. Exactly. They say that about the ladies. They go there to find a good man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the same could be said about TAC. Anyway, so he married uh, a girl from our class over there, a really nice girl, and um, converted shortly afterwards. And now he got his PhD in biblical studies. No and now is a professor at Notre Dame University. Is there. that right? Yeah. In, in I think, ancient biblical studies. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. That's so cool. Anyway, so like if that if that underlying in your learning environment was that there's a truth and we can know it, right? And um and you've told me before how even your lectures and stuff would they would try they would uh they would almost try to take away the principle the principles of of faith as a starting point for for getting to know for asking philosophical questions, right? right. Like trying to ask you to use your reason to see if you can if you can uh, what you can know just through through reason, right? Not obviously to put aside or to forget. I mean, to forget your faith, but to use the tools proper to the the discipline. Right, right. And um, but the underlying thing is that there's a truth out there, and I can know it, right? Maybe not know it entirely, but I can keep knowing it more and more and more. That there's something real I can hold on to. Whereas my experience in university was that, like, right from the get go, it's kind of like, um, that's what they try to shatter, right? Or that mm. was the general um feeling, right? Is is that no, you can't claim any kind of one truth, right? There's so many different opinions and so many different possibilities that it's really just about, it's about personal preference, right? You either, you got to pursue what you think is maybe personally convincing or what you think is interesting, but not what you think is true, meaning that it reflects reality. That was, that, that idea was kind of like, okay, no, that's a high school idea. You put that aside. And now we just look at all the different variety of ideas. It's kind of like more of a, um, what was interesting about the university was more like the, the abundance of, 
of possibilities uh, rather than the the combined the communal search for 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 truth. Wow, yeah. Um, and, and, and that's uh, there was something inter- good about that, right? That it made me kind of look at myself and even on a faith perspective, right? That's the first time I ever really came into contact with atheists, right? <laughs> like I remember in high school, one guy saying, no, that guy's an atheist. I was like, no way. Like, <laughs> How's that possible? But like this was the first time where I met good, intelligent, thinking, um, normal people who who either weren't sure about the questions of God or who categorically um, denied the existence of God or the supernatural or the spiritual. And that was that was challenging right suddenly it's Mm. like wow these people are smarter than me or as smart as me or um they've asked these questions more than me and they've come up with very different answers and it's not like they're crazy or bad people or anything like that they're just just normal people Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that was there was something really good in that because it made me then examine my my own beliefs and like okay well why do i believe that why etc etc but i think a sort of temptation there was just to that the and i think this happened to a lot of people and and i'm sure to me to some extent as well during that time is to say is just to because the people were so good is just and so friendly and we were good friends is to accept their ideas as as just that right it's like just kind of leave it at that exactly those are your tastes that's what you prefer that's what you think maybe we differ but but we can't really know right we've spoken about that in the podcast about that sort of that um, where the sophists got to that point of like, well, there's so many different possibilities that there's probably no truth or no way of knowing it. So we might as well just get good at being convincing in our own positions. That was my experience in university. And even that was why I didn't pursue psychology because I got to the end of honors psychology honors and there was one psychological theory here and one here and they were completely contradictory, right? If one was right, the other one had to be wrong but they were put on the same level. It's like, well, you kind of just, you got to choose the one you like. And that was you've so... Got to, and you've got to study both. You've got to study both, but then yeah. if you went on to become a psychologist, you kind of had to choose one school, basically. But there was no kind of like, there wasn't that impetus or that that des- that shared desire of like, well, which one, which one is true? Which one describes reality? And so, and I only see that kind of like looking looking back now, but that was what almost put me off about the, the academic... The university of, experience. Yeah, university experience. Wow, it's like we would yeah, speak yeah. about God and things like amongst my friends, but that was almost, it was separate from our, our acad- academic life and the, and the things we, we, we spoke about in class. Whereas my, in speaking to you, I see that those things for you guys were, they went together, which I think is really, really helpful. Um, obviously, it is good to have uh, people with different ideas so that you can, you know, look at, you can question your own ideas and stuff. Um, but I, yeah, that's really helpful. I, I think even just having that, that common, common desire for, for the truth. Yeah. And so that's why I went, I guess, through a whole bunch of things. Um, but yeah, growing in my faith and also growing in the prayer life and getting a spiritual director and taking it more seriously and little by little as, as you, you know, listening more and more and thinking, okay, perhaps this is, this is what God's calling me to. Um, and, and the idea of the priesthood. Job. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly what what was kind of or like always at the back of the mi- my mind, but then came more and more to the forefront. And then I chose to take that job teaching religion at St. Benedict's because I wanted to spend that time discerning and seeing, okay, is God calling me to the priesthood? And as I said, as I came in, there was a young man who I'd never met before who had just discerned that he was called to the priesthood and left, was teaching religion at St. Benedict's and then he left to go study to become a priest. And that was you. <laughs> Yeah, so I've, I I ended up, I finished up t- at TAC, uh, graduated with the with the intention of of entering the priesthood, but I didn't know like where or how. 
whether to be uh, uh, a priest in a religious community, yeah. so to be like part of the Benedictines or the Dominicans or the Franciscans, like part of the community, or maybe a priest in a parish, so like mm. a diocesan priest, uh, as they say. I really wasn't sure. So I came home and uh, was at a bit of a loose end, like you were describing, not quite sure what to do. And yeah. to, if I if I am honest with myself, maybe also feeling a bit down and a bit sorry for myself yeah. because like here I was, ready to give myself and to become a priest but like mm. i felt like the lord wasn't showing me where i should have gone and felt yeah. like i'd been almost like left alone or even abandoned at being yeah. a bit melodramatic yeah but, uh, but i think there's a shared thing in there even in our generation is like we we almost expected our destinies to be like handed to us it's to like be, oh yeah, just totally. to be like to unfold before us it's like you were made for for like you greatness and it's just going to happen to you and as a person with a spiritual life you then expect that to be shown to you by god yeah you know what i mean yeah. so i was expecting that god would give me a sign or or he would tell me or and I this happens a- to some people like they'll tell stories of their vocation where they have this incredible sign or experience or message yeah they get and knocked so- of their horse proverbially you know <laughs> exactly. and they have this powerful religious experience and then it, they, they know okay from now on i have to be a priest or i have to enter a community but and we were both waiting for that yeah and it, <laughs> and it never came and then i i started wondering well now what and so i obviously to support myself i needed to get a job and uh, worked at worked at benny's there for a while but then i, I also continued the spiritual direction now with a with a new priest obviously yeah based in Joburg, and he gave me a piece of advice that like changed my life yeah and like i don't i've got no no problem repeating it because i shared with as many people as possible because it was so helpful to me i was on a retreat mm-hmm. actually and i was chatting to him about and i opened up to him about these problems yeah. and these difficulties i was having and my feeling you know like abandoned by god and he said to me but hang on God has given you an intellect and a will. Mm. He's given you your mind and your freedom Mm. because he expects you to use them. So you can't now wait for him to show you what to do, but he's given you this mind and your freedom through your responsibility so that you can exercise these. And it's in exercising these that you will discover his will. Mm. So God will only act in your life when you take that risk of acting. Sure. And that changed my perspective mm. completely because up to then, as I said, I was waiting for God to act yeah. in my life. But He calls us according to our nature. Like he that's calls what us according saying. to it's our nature. Like, wow, exactly. He calls us according will, to our nature. Right? So I've got to use my mind. In other words, I have to think about possibilities. I have to weigh things up, pros and cons. Think, where am I best going to serve? Where can I be most useful? And then use my freedom and discernment. And it's in using these mm. that, the, that somehow God's will is manifested mm. and shown. Uh, and that changed my perspective completely. Because yeah. there's still, I mean, that doesn't mean it all comes from you, right? There's still the conversation and the prayer and stuff that helps you to, helps you to see, and then prompts you to choose. But the, absolutely, but the, it works together. Yeah, and you can't describe how. Yeah. It's a mystery. Yeah, that interaction of your free will and God's grace. Yeah, grace which never violates your free will. This interaction of grace and nature incredible. is a mystery. But Saint Thomas just puts that so nicely about how grace. Um, perfects nature, right? Isn't it? Uh, yeah. Rather than destroys rather, it. It's not yeah. like, okay, God will overpower me and make me do his will. No, but somehow he works through through who I am and through my nature to bring, if I'll cooperate with him, so there's the aspect of free will, to bring about yeah. his his designs. I mean, just, I mean, I, I can say that I think God worked through my freedom. Yeah, I think that's... And I, a, that's not a contradiction. No. 
Like I feel free because I chose, mm. but I know that this is God's will for me. Mm. That's awesome. Anyway, so that's that piece of advice changed my whole perspective and trajectory. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, well, let me apply my mind to it and, and start investigating and, and not be afraid to make a decision, not be afraid to risk God. Yeah. As the, as father Donald from Florida parish yeah. says, don't be afraid to risk God. That's pretty cool. I, yeah. haven't, I haven't heard him say that. Though. I like yeah. it. Anyway. So I, you know, I put two and two together. I looked around and I said, well, look, here I am available, wanting to become a priest and, I'm in my home city, Joburg. That's been my, my home for my whole life. Um, and there's a shortage of priests. And uh, everybody's talking about that. And uh, so, come on, apply, go for it. Uh, and, and and see what happens. And, mm. and that's what I did. And that's awesome. And I love what you said there about like how God worked through your free will. Because it's like, if you looked at that just from one direction, it looks like, well, I'm available, I'll do it. But then... I mean, even from other conversations we've had, it's almost like then that's where you start discovering um, what Jesus said at the Last Supper. Like, you haven't chosen me. I've chosen I've you. I've chosen you. It's like that appointed you to go and bear fruit. Yeah, that both him working in and through us and us responding to his his prompts of, of grace. It's That's beautiful. And a similar thing, a similar kind of change happened in my own discernment as well. Um, as I, yeah, during this year of teaching, and I'd chosen to be single for that time, you know, um, um, because in the discernment process, you've got to, you have to make decisions along that process mm. to, to help you. you know, vocation is like, it's like a little flame yeah. and you need to protect that flame because when it's young, it can easily get snuffed out. So yeah. you've, you've got to make these, make these decisions mm. and that helps you then also arrive at the next stage of the journey yeah. if you cooperate. So also, I also had, you know, in my last couple of years of university, because I was thinking about the priesthood, I thought, okay, look, I've also yeah. got to stay single, can't have a girlfriend because that's not going to help me discern, yeah. right? It, it, because it implies, obviously, um, also a call to, to celibacy. Mm. But what's interesting about that is I think that's a good way to do it because of that cooperation with our nature. So because we because we respond to and we're called through, our, not just through our emotions and our feelings and things like that, but through our intellect and our free will, like those higher faculties of man, which we'll speak about in future episodes. Um, but that like... That's why it's almost like it's worthwhile to have that space where my emotions and things aren't as excited and maybe blocking my my ability to to see intellect and to choose free will. Um, and so that's why. So it's like, whereas if I'm in a relationship, I'm in love with a girl, like those are obviously all good and beautiful things. But if I'm in a moment, if I'm in a time when I'm trying to make a decision about my life, that might actually obscure my ability to see the full picture and make a make a choice from there. And yeah. Our Lord, the, the voice of our Lord. Exactly, exactly. And so, the, yeah, so I guess we both just took took that season of singleness, as they call it. Um, and not because, uh, I don't know, it's worthwhile saying, because I also had this funny misconception when I was young. I was like, no, people become priests because they couldn't find a wife. Like, <laughs> which, um, like, I mean, obviously isn't the case, you know. And uh, there, were, there were various beautiful and wonderful and very good women who I was like, wow, I could really build a, um, a life with that person. And... And I would love to, you know, like mm. the natural desire for, for, for marriage and children and things like that. Because isn't another misconception that a, a, a person who's celibate or a priest is somebody who maybe doesn't have a desire <clears throat> yeah. for a family or like for a wife. Like an androgynous, like yeah, it's kind so, of like... So either they did have a desire, but they, they couldn't find a wife, shame, mm -hmm. poor guy, okay. Or maybe they just, they just they don't have such a strong desire. Yeah. Um, and so that's why they choose the single life. Choose the... 
And yeah. that's, Which pro- is that's probably not true, right? Well, it's probably true in some cases, but okay. I think that's not that's not that. I think that's accidental and not <laughs> sub- substantial. Right. That that's that happens because of bad discernment, and that's also that's meant to be kind of picked up during the process of seminary and things like that. Hence, um, discernment being in both directions. Yeah. and I think that's also. I mean, obviously, I think it's in those situations where there's where there's where there's also problems, right? And uh, we don't have to. We all know about yeah. Those. We all know about the the various scandals and stuff, and I think often that's what happens. There's almost like a misdirected or a mis, um, like I don't know, misunderstood um, sexuality and uh, appreciation of marriage and things like that, where there is like a, a a problem there that maybe is not picked up or wasn't picked up during seminary, and then they bring that into a celibate life. But a normal, healthy um, discernment and vocation comes from comes from a, a young man. Um, who knows and loves marriage, right? And who desires that as a normal good desire. And this was true as for any me. normal person yeah. would. Yeah, yeah. I, we're, we're, we're becoming a little bit priest and kind of preaching. <laughs> but let me just say from my perspective, <laughs> but like that was my situation. Like I loved marriage and I longed to be a dad and to be a husband. But my question was, okay, is that God's plan for me? And I need to give him the space to to respond to that question and so that's what i did and i slowly realized that yes he is calling me to be a father can i ask just can i interrupt you there yeah because i think it may be a cool question to ask for our listeners were you afraid what like afraid of the choice afraid of 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 the what god might be asking of you when you began that discernment process or even in that discernment process well it took me a long time to even start the process because i was like i had this feeling that if i make myself available then God's going to probably make me become a priest. <laughs> and I was scared of that. I was like, I don't you want to give him that. You knew it all along. <laughs> I was like, and you're I, just stalling. I don't want to give him the option because then he's going to make me become a priest. Um, what I realized in the process of discernment was like, no, um, a vocation is not because of, oh, God needs me. But no, because God wants what, what he wants me to have the fulfillment of my, of me, right? He's written something in my heart, which will be fully, um, fully expressed through my vocation. Not like oh good, there's there's someone willing. We'll we'll, we'll we need we've got to fill a fuller a parish over there, right? But but um, no, look if someone's open to to what I'm calling them to do, that's what will give them true happiness. Oh, so you're saying that God's will is actually your fulfillment, hundred percent. So and, and so I think we we like know that intellectually, but the the dealing with it practically is terrifying. The distance between <laughs> the head and the heart, big time. <laughs> is the longest big time but isn't that a great example again of this cooperation between grace and nature grace and nature yeah. like god's will for me is not something external that i need to now measure up to mm. and kind of okay hunker down fine yeah I'll accept now do mm. it but no his will is my happiness mm. and my happiness is found in doing yeah. his will and the two coincide now but i think some people get that wrong sometimes is is that they'll take that uh and they'll apply it to their discernment in terms of, okay, what makes me happy is God's will. <laughs> Meaning like whatever gives me um, an, an emotional uh, pleasure or um, satisfaction, that must be God's will because God wants me to be happy. Mm-hmm. But there's almost like... So there's a risk of, of, of seeing it from that perspective. Yeah, Seeing it as my subjective, my what I perceive as my happiness, that must be God's will. But it's almost, I think we need to almost let go of that to be able to listen to God because his will for me might mean sacrificing this thing that I think is making me happy because he wants to give me something greater. And a deeper happiness. And a deeper this. happiness. So it's like once we mm. trust that, no, God's will for me 
is what will make me happy. Not whatever is making me happy must be God's will. Absolutely. And that's what happened. That's what I had to go through. I had to almost be ready to let go of the possibility of getting married, seeing that it's a good and a beautiful, but okay, maybe God wants something else for me. And if he does, it's because it's going to fulfill me. And like, so that I had to go through that process. And a lot of it was kind of letting go um, or being willing to say, okay, maybe God's got another plan for me. And, and indeed, and that's what I was saying. Like it, I came to realize, yes, he is calling me to be a father, but to be a spiritual father. spiritual father. And he's calling me to be a husband, but in the way that he was and that he gave himself for his bride, the church, right? And seeing like, oh, wow, those are fulfilled in the, in the vocational priesthood. And then I think I was so really what I'm really, what I'm really looking for in marriage and in fatherhood is fulfilled spiritually because that was my experience too. Yeah. Like, like the thing I was afraid of was, was giving up marriage and fatherhood and having a family. Because I really wanted those things too. Mm. And I, I was thinking, can I actually, can I be happy yeah. being celibate? Like, yeah. you know, is that gonna? Can I be happy not being married and having a children and family? You know, and and uh, uh, having this these these children that God has given me to mm. raise and to to be the fa- their yeah. father. Like, can I be happy without that mm. in my life? And this was like the test, the hurdle yeah. that I had to overcome and, and trust God enough to to be able to fill my heart mm. yeah. through his plan. And like what you were saying there about like that, that almost fear, can I be happy? And that I almost think that's the best place to be in discerning the vocation of celibacy is when you have this appreciation and this natural love and desire for, because that's a natural vocation, right? To be a husband and a father. I remember Mother Angelica, that's what she used to say to the young, um, the, the guys who would come to the Franciscan order there in the, of the eternal word. They would, she would say to them, if you don't want to be a dad and a husband, then you can go, right? That means you're not called to be a priest. It's like almost wow. that, that desire has got to be there to show that you've got normal desires and God's going to, he's he going to fulfill them in another way. Fulfill yeah. them in another way. Wow. Anyway, so that was sort of, that was my, and sorry, the point of this was to say that, that um, also my spiritual director, I kind of was expecting this moment when I would know 100%. And he said to <gasps> me, no, you're not going to know 100%. He said, you, you'll know 90%. And then you've got to make a decision. Wow. There, like working through your free will. It's like, no, I, I'll give you the signs. I'll give you the indications, but you've got to choose. And I think the same thing is when you're discerning like, okay, am I meant to marry this girl? Like, or not. It's like, at some point, you gotta just choose, you know. Yeah, and you gotta man up, and you've gotta propose. You gotta take the plunge. Exactly. Because it's so true, hey. Like we want certitude. Yeah. We 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 believe in our destiny. We believe that it's going to be given to us, mm. but we also want absolute certitude mm. about it. Mm. And, and life ain't like that. No. And I think, to be honest, I think a lot of people our age, um, they they get stuck in that place, that almost that place of waiting for certitude, and. It's, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting for what my life is about. And you can pass 10 years, oh, yeah. like, waiting. And I've, I, like, see that in, in... I see it too, man, yeah. Like, people in my, my age. In my and, contemporaries and, my, and peers and friends, yeah. even. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so that, yeah, eventually I got to that, that 90% and, uh, and made the choice. And then, yeah, I went to seminary. And then we went to the same seminary in Rome. And we, we met there. You were a couple of years ahead of me because um, you'd also already studied philosophy. And then we made our, I started studying philosophy there because a priest has to study both philosophy and theology. And as I've shared on the podcast before, like as I started studying philosophy in um, seminary, that's where so many things just started changing for the way that I saw learning. And I realized I had all these biases from my like university. Like I was like, no, no, no. Wow. Like I couldn't 
know something that's true about reality and just how beautiful that is like how incredible incredible it is to contemplate the truth of something even if it's something small like the existence of a tree um there's something so fantastic about that and really discovered a, a love for for learning and and seeing how philosophy aids that it it helps us to see see reality because i think up until that point i really did think the only sciences that had anything to do with reality were the hard sciences that that measured reality um, and not thinking no reason can tell us something about the being of things um, and really not just theories or ideas or things like that but no trying to get to know how things truly are so we can understand them uh, more fully uh, and, and that was that was like life-changing for me and I remember the conversations we would have we would have in seminary like I would be struggling with some philosophical concept and um, I would bother you about it right <laughs> and because you'd had these four years at THC and like you dived into and you loved Aristotle so much and um, all of these concepts that were obviously went on to be used um, as the philosophical concepts to explain some of the mysteries of of our faith not to explain but to give them a uh, to give them a language with which they could be accurately communicated um, but obviously not exhausted that we that's why we learned philosophy right so we had these concepts ready to understand what uh, what like when we say that the Trinity is three persons, um, but one nature, what do those concepts mean about person and nature? Those are philosophical concepts. So we'd look at the philosophical concepts um, and then use those to un then later understand theology. But I remember wrestling with these things, right? And I, I remember like bothering you, like it would be like seven in the morning and we'd like just finished morning mass and like tired and about to go to university and trying to finish our breakfast quick. And I'd be like, um, Denise, like obviously you were you weren't a, a priest then. It's like Denise, like just tell me, like what's the difference between like being and existence? <laughs> were, were we speaking Italian also in that time? <laughs> Usually, if yeah. there were, if there were people around, right? So, yeah. Cosa la differenza fra l'estere e l'esistenza? <laughs> and you would be like, I'm sorry, like just let me finish my breakfast, <laughs> like before we dive into metaphysics. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you were really gracious, and we had some awesome conversations. You remember those? Yeah. Um, Man, I, I must say also that experience of university and, and, and coming to be able to know the truth uh, was such a, a wonderful experience for me and so fulfilling and satisfying that I always thought, man, it would be so cool to be able to, to share this experience yeah. with other people, um, to this, this joy. Yeah, because that's what it is, hey? And that's what I never knew about learning. It's like, like the wonder of it the like the real satisfaction of coming to like know something or to see something more clearly uh is just so deeply human and wonderful yeah and it's man it's 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 my hope that uh the uh, this little project can can at least enkindle that wonder in people yeah and maybe just like share a little bit of that joy that yeah. i've experienced from uh from philosophy yeah, look, and I guess that's the, that's why, like, I proposed this idea to you of having this this podcast because we would we have these philosophical conversations <laughs> about like being in essence and existence and um, matter and form and not just like in a in a detached theoretical way, but I think this is why you and I both love what's called like realistic philosophy, right? Uh, like realism, classical realism, is that like within the Aristotelian tradition, which is basically what this what this book follows, and Thomas Aquinas and, mm. and those thinkers is, is no, it's dealing with reality. It's coming to know what is, what actually is out there, not just what 
what I perceive in my mind or a theory about another world, but like, no, how can I understand this thing better? And that that's aided by physical science because there's physical aspects of this thing, but there's also other aspects that aren't physical, right? That, like the concept of it itself, like the idea of the thing that we've spoken about in some of the past mm, episodes, yeah. like it's, it's substance, which is different from everything that makes it up, that, that the, the whole is bigger than its parts. Like those nice. are philosophical questions, but philosophical questions that are dealing with reality that help me to come to know things as they are. And the great like joy in, in doing that and the longing, as you, were sh- as you were saying there, the longing to share that with people, right? So like I would, I, I would and I am and I have, you know, having conversations with, with family members, with my cousin, with my brother um, or with friends and stuff and almost just longing like, man, I wish we had, I wish we could just share some of these basic concepts because if we could just start with some shared principles about life. Like some, like some common ground. Some common ground, exactly, yeah, about coming can- to know things. Then we can have that 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 journey together to try okay what is more true not what can i convince you more of like the sophists but can we come to know the truth better like socrates <laughs> and that like i've always been longing for and i think and i've discovered people along the way who long for that too right like friends family members and people i've just who like long for that but they don't have the um they don't have the language or the concepts or things like that that we've had the privilege to start learning and i've been like man i just wish I wish I, I wish I could take you through a course on in Aristotelian philosophy. Not because I know everything or because you can no, come to my no, level. No, none of that. But so yeah, at yeah. least we can share concepts that actually put us in touch with the reality so we can come to understand the biggest questions better rather than just posing uh, like the 18-year-old, the 16-year-old's like random theories about, about life, right? Mm. Um, and so that and seeing almost like this dearth, um, dearth means lack, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just checking. Seeing this dearth of, of a good um, contact. Because we all, like we said in the first episode, we all have this, this, we all have a worldview and we all have philosophical concepts, but it's like we haven't been trained in them, right? So we're, we're just not used to them actually applying to reality. When we think about reality, we think about um, the hard sciences. When we think about random ideas, that's like philosophy. And I think the beauty of, the, of classical realism is it's saying, no, 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 no. The ideas are in the things, like Aristotle said. Absolutely. Uh, I think I meant, like I said earlier, that uh, something I experience often, and it's a, I confess it's a, a real frustration, is that when I have a conversations with, with different people, even friends and other people, or I hear conversations on the radio, I find that there's so little common ground yeah. Yeah. between people mm. and their ideas that... Even using the same words. Even using the same <coughs> words, that very little progress is yeah. made in conversations. Yeah. And it is, it, it comes down to that same, the same frustration of Socrates is it's like, okay, well, what, it's just like, okay, what, who's more convincing? Who's, who's more who's convincing? Got the most, who's got the most passion? Or um, who can, who can formulate the best tweet? Yes, exactly. You know, and that's the one that gets the most likes and that everyone's like, oh, you know. Or that which evokes most The best emotional response. Yeah. Or like one, like uh, fascination. It's like those almost become the measurements of if something's worth taking um, seriously, as if it yeah. if it if it gives me feeling or if it gives me like fascination. So it's like, wow, that's such an interesting theory. I've never thought of that before, which is cool, right? Mm. But that's not necessarily putting us in touch with with the real, with the real, with, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I guess walking with people, I've been like, okay, cool. Um, why don't you read this? Why don't you read this book about about 
um, classical realism or about philosophy. Or Can I ask a question? And, and how many people actually read the book that you, <laughs> that you recommended to exactly. them? Honestly. Well, and then sometimes people would read the book, but in a Wikipedia fashion. So it would be like, okay, let me just get the information. Whereas philosophy, you've got to wrestle with these things, right? You've got to like draw out the concept and see, okay, and examine it rather than just like, oh yeah, I've got the idea. That's the person's like point of view. But no, okay, is what is he really saying? And is that true? That takes like munching. It takes like it conversation. Takes munching, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into it in the next couple of episodes as we'll see. But like knowledge is not just information, but knowledge is coming into contact with the real. It's entering into relationship with the real. And it's a subject, you and I, who are entering into relationship with the real through mm. our knowledge. Because knowledge is always of a subject. So it's not just a yes. case of, okay, filling a pail or, you know, like uh, filling up space in your hard drive mm. with information. Yeah. Like your brain, some kind of a, like sophisticated hard drive. Like the intelligent person is the person who knows the most. Like the most, the things, most facts. The most facts. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. You know, like you've got like one terabyte and I've got one exactly. and a half terabyte I've read space. three more Wikipedia pages than you. <laughs> no, knowledge is, is entering into relation with what is real. Mm. And it's always a personal thing. It concerns me as a person. It changes and influences me as a subject. An object. <laughs> yeah, the subject knowing the object, entering into relationship. And that so object can be known deeper and deeper in a way. You can get a better and better, a truer and truer vision of the thing. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I guess that's the, that's the reason behind this podcast is I wanted to invite people into this conversation. So rather than just say, okay, read that article or try this or just be like, okay, well, let's talk about these things. And hopefully people feel like they can enter into the conversation and start thinking through these things and maybe with some of these concepts that help them not just like, okay, here's a theory, but okay, help us be in better touch with the real and with reality. Awesome. Now, and I was thinking maybe an, another another reason behind the podcast could also be for... Um, those Catholics out there who are listening, yeah. especially of our generation, yeah. who maybe have gone through a similar journey yeah. and are now, let's say, convinced of their faith and want to live it yes. coherently, but maybe realize that they, that because of all the confusion that's out there today mm. and like this, this plethora of opinions, mm. but dearth of common ground, <laughs> Amen. like they feel that maybe they don't quite have the, like the the principles or like the the solid ground in which to articulate. Mm you know, their faith to, to yeah. their friends and stuff. Yeah. Because it, like, again, there's like a third time we're bringing it up now, this beautiful relationship between faith, between grace and nature yeah. or like faith, faith and, and reason. reason. Faith does not destroy reason, yeah. but it lifts it up. It elevates it, right? Yes. So faith and reason are in harmony. So mm. we can use our reason and philosophy, uh, this God-given power that we have yeah. to understand a little bit better, not exhaust, but understand a little bit better the faith that he gives mm. us, right? Which is a supernatural gift, obviously, mm. right? But it doesn't mean that our faith is irrational, that there's, things can't be known about it. Yeah. But we can begin to make a little bit of sense of it yeah. through a sound philosophy. We can there see was, it, we celebrated, we can see it clearer yeah. and clearer. Yeah. Wasn't it the, the, the feast of St. Anselm yeah. recently? And he was this uh, philosopher, theologian of the Middle Ages. And he was a man of great faith and great piety, but also like a really smart guy, had a great intellect. And he said, you know, faith-seeking understanding. He came yeah. up with that line. Describing uh, theology. theology. Theology is faith that seeks understanding. It's like, I believe because it's been revealed by God, but I can come to understand it more and more and more. And coming to understand that means using the, the, the tools that God has given me in my nature, which is 
my intellect. My intellect. So my reason cannot prove that God is the Trinity or that our Lord is uh, one person in two natures. Yeah. We, we can't demonstrate that because this has been revealed to us yeah. by God, by God's sheer gift of himself <laughs> in Revelation. Yeah. And we believe this through faith, through, yeah. this, through this gift of faith. And this is a personal act. That, mm. But our reason and our philosophy and theology can help us to penetrate and shine light on these great yeah. mysteries, yeah. which make them even more beautiful to us mm. and make us believe even more. Absolutely. And, and I think, and also what's helpful there is that they can also help get rid of obstacles. Mm. And this is, this is like a big thing. It's like, okay, giving, like you, you say, like faith can't be given by reason, but it is not irrational. And reason can always help you to understand and see faith more clearly. But there might be things that I believe or I think that are actually obstacles to me receiving faith or um, yeah, basically to receiving faith or to even growing in it. And that's also where a good philosophical conversation can be helpful. And this is, I think, one of the underlying reasons that we as priests, who obviously our whole mission in life is to, is to love God and make him loved, to know him and make him known. But we take time out of our busy schedules to speak about philosophy and get people involved in philosophy because a philosophy can, a good philosophy that desires to know the truth and desires to be in contact with reality as it is, can help get rid of obstacles that maybe someone has towards the faith, right? That are intellectual obstacles. And that's what I've, I also find in the general culture, that there are a lot of ideas like, um, like relativism, which we've spoken about, you know, like thinking that all truths are, all truth is relative. Or the idea that um, everything is, the only thing that makes up reality is, is physical, right? A sort of physicalism or a naturalism that there's no, it's impossible that mm -hmm. there be a supernatural or that there be non-physical principles. Um, or the idea of um, that man is just, there's nothing particular about man, that he's just part of this, part of this world a complex machine complex or really sophisticated animal or just exactly or that or the, the 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 point of departure that every there's no meaning in life that everything is meaningless now these are all philosophical these are so these aren't faith questions or religious questions exactly these are philosophical philosophical questions. questions and they can be answered philosophically exactly and if if and if someone has all of those so if i believe like all truth is relative man is just an animal the 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 world is is there's no meaning in the world and if the only thing that exists is is this, is this brute matter is physical is matter then those are those are philosophical positions that if i don't um that if i don't if i'm not able to examine them or to check my biases or to bring them to see if they actually relate to reality they will they're all obstacles to the faith because those actually contradict the faith and so i that's also part of the Part of this journey is to say, okay, well, let's look at these just with our reason and see, okay, are they, I mean, are they reasonable? Do they describe reality in a coherent way, in a way that our common sense and our common experience uh, attests to? And is there a way that we can actually see these things um, broader, in a broader way, that then uh, then that's what's, what's called a preambula, a preambula fide, right? Something so, that... that, that a step towards being able to receive the faith. So I've gotten over an obstacle that now permits me to actually consider the possibility of, of the existence of God. And well, existence of God is still a philosophical question, but of him, of a God who reveals himself. So can we say that philosophy is a preamble to faith? Awesome. And that it's a, um, that philosophy is the servant or the handmaid of, 
of theology. Of theology. But that doesn't mean trying to sneak theology into philosophy. It means that, no, having a good grasp and being in touch with, with reality helps us to be open to, to more, what we would say is more, uh, a more full view of reality, which includes a God who has, has revealed himself. Anyway, does that sound like a worthwhile project to you? <laughs> Amen. Or should maybe I should say <laughs> something else. But yeah. Like, therefore, uh, I conclude. I, I concur. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. And I, I think it's a, it's a cool project. And I do, I encourage our, our listeners to like, if you do have questions and stuff, um, is to send them our way. And then hopefully send them to our email address, you know, to the, um, not the, it's just amateurphilosophersclub at gmail.com. And then hopefully we can introduce those questions into the conversation. And I think that would be a cool things. idea. Uh, and it, the feedback is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. It does help to know, okay, I d- understood that. I didn't understand that. Or what about this? And hope if we don't, re- either we s- will speak about it on the podcast itself or respond to your email. Um, so anyway, this, this episode was was a bit longer and a bit went, took a bit of a different direction than we expected. But um, hopefully it gives you a better a better view about, about who, we, who we are. Um, why we're doing what we're doing and why we think it's important and worthwhile and why we're glad that you were were that that you're listening <laughs> all right so have thanks very much father nice for for joining me um it's been good to get to know you a bit better and um likewise yeah and we'll see you next time cheers